Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I hit the ball first time, and there it was in the back of the net. Motivation, yeah. motivation, motivation, the three M's. That's, that's perverse. In, in a football field, with kids watching. Ladies and gentlemen, England will be playing four, four, f***ing two. And that boy is out to take a penalty. Eight bloody one. I'm just saying to his colleague, referee's got me the sack. Thank you ever so much for that one. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Touchline, the football podcast that's not actually about football. Jacques Derrida said, Beyond the Touchline, there is nothing. Well, we feel we have had and are proved proving that there is indeed something my name is dennis hurley and i'm joined by two behemoths of the podcast world and in this episode episode three we'll be discussing footballing comics to my virtual left a man who was a mediocre journalist until he unearthed the old-fashioned typewriter of a long dead legend (laughs) turning him into a star it's david hartrick (laughs) that's possibly my favorite ever intro (laughs) <laughs> Excellent, I'm glad to have uh, to have ticked that box for you David, a quick question for you just to get in the, the mood Kevin Klein or Rodney Powell? <sighs> Kevin Klein Yeah, he, he, had, he, had, he had moral fibre, didn't he? He did, he did I can't back a bad guy Yeah, and, and like, was it just coincidence that like the actor he had a moustache and a, a little bit of a a mullet going on? No, because one of the things we will establish as we're chatting is quite often a lot of these artists are very lazy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't. Uh, I, I can't prefer argue to say that. working to deadlines. Yes, yes. <laughs> Let's be kind. Um, and r- rather fittingly, given my Alan Partridge tribute above, the, the man you'll hear uh, butting in there before he's introduced <laughs> is. Uh, He's someone with good intentions who is regularly led astray by the ghost of his dead cousin. It's Seb Patrick. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Seb, a quick question for you, and I think this will tug at your heartstrings. Rick Stewart or rapper Hardesty? 
Oh, it's it's uh, well. I mean, we're going to discuss this in all kinds of detail, but I'm sorry, it's it's rapper Hardesty all the way. I've been very invested okay. in Rick Stewart recently, but I'm I'm all about rapper Hardesty. He's a little bit more rock and roll, isn't he? He's a little bit more personality. Full stop. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, Rick Rick really did kind of. I, I don't want to spoil later <laughs> stuff, but he did kind of uh, belie the the maxim about goalkeepers being crazy. <laughs> yeah, he really does. Uh, <laughs> And little tiny toy skeleton just pales in comparison to a pig puppet, in my exactly. honest view. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and who knows where uh, Andy Styles' um, Waterloo Bear fits in <laughs> on that spectrum. <laughs> now, as mentioned, football and comics are the focus of this episode, and obviously one candidate leaps to mind under such a heading, leaving all the rest behind him. Featuring a side led by a legendary fair-haired player-manager, we are, of course, talking about striker. <laughs> no, I'm joking. It's Roy Reyes and Melchester Rovers. However, that dominance has been so strong that this discussion is football comic sans Roy of the Rovers, <laughs> giving other strips their chance to shine. Before we hear David and Seb's top fives, though, I'd like to ask them what they would come up with if they were asked to provide a treatment for a new football-related comic strip. And we'll go to you first, David. Um, well, it, usually they fall into two categories, football comics. They, they either lean into the absurd or they take themselves super seriously. And I would try to find uh, a little midpoint between the two, but I, that means probably about three people would buy it. But basically, I would do the class of 96. And what the class of 96 is, a basically, a, a very rich man buys a non-league club and his favourite ever international tournament and England <laughs> performance was at Euro 96. And he decides, even after all these years, to get the gang back together. And we get a sort of... An old, the old guys taking on, seeing what they can do, seeing if they've still got it, led, of course, by uh, our Paul Giscoyne who is, of course, our <laughs> joker in the pack. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's sort of... The other thing that football comics tend to do is riff on a lot of like very well-worn story tropes, and I would very much lean into that with this uh, and turn it into a half-comedy, half-hero story, shall we say. That, that does rather remind me of the time that in a single week in 2001... I saw two members of England Italia 90 squad play, uh, which was the, in, a, in an Everton game that I went to. Uh, I saw Gaza, and then uh, at Marine, my local club, uh, the visiting side were Works Up Town, captained by Chris Waddle. Uh, he, ju- he couldn't give it up, Chris Waddle. He still, <laughs> uh, still plays uh, Sunday League football now. And does he take the penalties? Oh, of course. <laughs> of course he will. He loves a penalty. <laughs> Uh, one thing I would say, it, it's an interesting uh, concept, but I think uh, your your Paul Giscoyne character is based a bit too um, obviously on Derek Mozzie Mostyn. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say Kevin Radner actually, but I think there's yeah. Another can I just yeah. uh, can I just say if our listeners are getting all these references, including toy skeletons, Kevin Radner, Waterloo <laughs> Bear, etc., this this podcast has never been more for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's hard to argue with that. Seb, what is your comic strip? So my my uh, comic would be called uh, the Ultimate Team, 
And uh, the premise is that it begins um, with uh, several of the world's greatest players um, finding themselves um, playing on a in a match where they're in the same team. Um, and they're all randomly wearing the kit of like a second division Ukrainian side. Um, they don't really understand why they're there. Their, their memories have all been wiped, but they they start playing. So you have a kind of you have you have Messi and you have Neymar, uh, you know you have uh, Salah, Van Dijk, everybody, you know, kind of all all the kind of world's best players all kind of playing together. Not sure why, but they band together to start playing in in this match, and then all of a sudden. Really, really strange things start to happen. Um, so, you know, they find that on occasion they're just they're, they're not as skillful as they thought they were, or um, you know, all of a sudden time starts to move kind of really slowly, and the opposition manage to get away from them really quickly. Um, and then, as as time goes on, and they start playing more and more matches, other players start to randomly appear and disappear. Famous players do, and then famous players from the past start to appear. Like uh, randomly, uh, they're playing in a match, and suddenly Johan Cruyff and and George Best are in there, and they they just they don't understand. Uh, what's going on uh, because it transpires that the entire thing is actually somebody playing a game of FIFA Ultimate Team <laughs> okay <laughs> that's very meta is. So you, you kind of you follow these players through this existential crisis of why are we here? What's happened to our old lives? Why are people randomly appearing and, and disappearing? Uh, why is the goalkeeper suddenly coming out of the goal and running sixty yards down the pitch and getting tackled for no apparent reason? And then, then boom, the cutaway at the very very end of however many issues you want this to run for is that it's a game of ultimate team. Wasn't there one in match in around nineteen ninety three which was a bit like that? Like it was, it was more obviously based in a computer game. May well have been. I, I don't recall. I can't. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of the name of it. But and it, but it wasn't as uh, as sophisticated as your idea. <laughs> and uh, alongside both of your ideas, mine really does pale into into kind of blandness. Really, it's it, it's it's basically a rip off of two separate but similar ideas. Uh, you might remember John Stark. He, yes. he was a, mm. a stalwart of... Was it Victor he was in? Yeah, he'll be coming up when we uh, <laughs> chat later. Yeah, basically... Match winner for hire. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's a cross between that and Quantum Leap, basically. <laughs> uh, like, so I, I think in this day and age, people people uh, people aren't really able to um, keep track of serials. So, you know, they want to binge read their comics. So that, that that's why I'm giving them short, snappy stories all at once. So basically, it, it's an ever-changing uh, plot because the team and players change depending on whose body he has shape-shifted into this week. <laughs> but he still retains his previous memories to help him in his new, um, new uh, challenges. Um, so, yeah, like I you said, like falls he- well short of body yours. I feel like two ideas could almost be combined there because what you've kind of got also is playing the first person play one person from a match mode that you yeah, get in true, yeah. games. Li- Libro Grande yeah. style, yeah. Yeah. Be um, a pro. So you're ganging up. Right, fine. Fine. <laughs> well, how about no, if we combine those two ideas and all the players are from England's Euro 96 squad? Yeah, I think I think we've we've found the the, the excellent compromise that we didn't manage in the previous episode. Fair enough. So we we'll we'll call it a draw, will we? Yeah. Have they all been okay. draws so far? No, I think I went with Dennis the very first 
On the oh, very right. the, the important thing is that I still haven't won one. That's that's the crucial <laughs> sure thing. Yeah. Well, you 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 shared the title there, say like the charity shield. Yeah. <laughs> you you get you get to have the trophy for for four months of the year. At the oh, end of the day, it. I just hope football's the winner. I I really hope so. Yeah. Um. So on that bombshell, we move along to the the real meat of this. Um. And just in case any of the listeners are wondering why I'm presenting and David isn't for this episode, it's because the other two, uh, the other two contributors, a man who doesn't want Houghton to leave Brighton and Hove Albion and a man who never wanted Houghton to leave Liverpool, their (laughs) breadth of comic knowledge far exceeds mine. So in alternating order, we will hear David and Seb's top five non-Roy of the Rovers comic strips and as I alluded to in my introduction of David we're going to start with a classic an absolute staple of comics despite the fact that the plot was the same in every single one (laughs) Billy's Boots David take it away oh no I've lost my boots oh thank the heavens I found my boots and I can play again (laughs) to be fair you sometimes got variants on it sometimes the variant was oh no I've been forced to play in new boots for some reason yeah (laughs) or it well the thing was when we were creating these sort of top fives we've had a lot of uh, back and forth on various things and I've just Billy's Boots was a, was going to get a bit of an honourable mention, potentially, but then I realised that if you ask people to name three football comic book characters, they're going to tell you Roy the Rovers, Billy Boots, and then struggle. And that's your, your sort of general member of the public. So I thought there's no way we can't talk about Billy's Boots. And I think also just the, the sheer length of time it's endured. You know, it, it started in... Um, Scorcher, I think, very early 70s, Seb? 1970, in fact. Yeah, the the first issue of Scorcher in 70. And it it moved from Scorcher to Tiger to to Roy the Rovers in the 80s. And it's it's been written by a few different people, I believe, Seb, but Fred Baker was sort of your... Fred Baker was the predominant one. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's the Fred Baker stories that get re well, or well, I say get got reprinted quite a lot in mm. Roy the Rovers annuals, and and you that's know. where I tended to encounter it. Yeah, and I I think it's because of that that I mean, because yeah, I, I, we've made that kind of joke about all the Billy's Boots stories being the same, um, and I I kind of found that, and it's not even just the stories of Billy loses his boots and what's he going to do. I found a really common recurring type of story that I saw happen definitely more than once, and I think it's because where I encountered it was in annuals and in holiday specials where it was the kind of one-off self-contained story that you'd get and the stories that I always seemed to read were Billy Dane goes on holiday somewhere and ends up playing in a football match and it happens to be a place where Deadshot Keane also either played for a team or happened to play a one-off football match and he reads about it in his book that's like got this accurate history of the entire career of a footballer who existed before football photography was even a thing and yet it has action photos of him playing and how he played and Billy does exactly the same thing that Deadshot Keane did uh, and there's like eerie history so yeah that's that's it's not necessarily that they're ever bad stories um it's just that yeah, it's like you know what's going to happen as soon as you start reading a Billy's Boots story. Not that it's not entertaining when you do. Yeah, it, and 
I think when you have a strip that runs for this length of time, then you are going to get... I mean, it, let's be honest, it's quite a limited premise, isn't it? Yeah. And yet, <laughs> uh, it should also be noted that this is... The, you know this has been ripped off as well. I you, there's We'll come on to fo- Football Picture Story Monthly, but there's a backup story in a Football Picture Story Monthly that is uh, Gary's Golden Boots. <laughs> and I, I'm not even going to go into the story because you know exactly what it is. Well, there was a, I don't know if it actually predates Billy's Boots as well, but I, in an annual that I've got, which is actually a, a Scorcher annual, but I think it's a, while the Scorcher annual is from the 70s, this story reads like it's maybe from the 50s, and it's called something like Barry Bins and His Marvellous Spectacles. And it's about this, this <laughs> yeah. little twerp at a public school who had like this this just this this real annoying nerd of a kid who when he puts on these special glasses is absolutely brilliant at all forms of sport and it's interesting because it's like it's billy's boots without actually the detail and nuance because at least with billy's boots the thing is it's not that he's brilliant at football when he wears the boots it's that he specifically turns into deadshot keen when he wears them this strip is just this kid can just just has superpowers and can do anything and it's like it is is kind of amusing but it is like this is what billy's boots would be like if actually there was even less thought and invention in it yeah and also because it's that thing as well of being undeserving it's like it's sort of the the character doesn't have to work for what they get they're just like oh this is magic and i have it and it helps me win which always rankles with me a little bit but how did he never wise up to all the um, the rich kids, the, the sneery rich kids who hit us? It seemed to be a different one every time, <laughs> but he he he, uh, yeah. he always fell for it. Uh, the, the thing, I mean, we're ripping into it here, but you, <laughs> you've got to admire the longevity, and mm. that that's because while it's a limited premise, it's it's a good premise at the end of the day. Yeah. It was just it was it was taken way beyond its logical conclusion. And I mean I, I was just doing a bit of sort of cursory research because I can I can pretty much talk about Billy's boots off the top of my head, but as I was going through some of the stuff I've got on my shelf, there's there, I I can pick you out at least them it, it's very difficult to credit the artist because as we'll come on to the the recording of writer and artist is just an absolute nightmare pre sort of 1991 but i can show you basically five different artists who've worked on various iterations of billy's boots and it was you know it is it is a bit of a staple and it was i was thinking about it today and i was thinking well uh, you know, try and be positive about it because it's it's very it's very easy to sort of be sneery. And I was thinking about the Roy the Rovers reboot, and I was thinking, do you know what? At some point, in some form, linked with that Roy the Rovers reboot as a like a backup story or an Easter egg or something, there is no way that Billy Dane is not appearing <laughs> in some way, shape, or form or Groundwood High School. Yeah, that's a good. Point. There is, well, there is that question of 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 rights that's one of those where i don't know who has the rights because i don't know obviously when because i guess it was all because at the time when all a lot of these strips that we're going to talk about and that we're talking about kind of moved around from publication to publication and that's because publications merged with each other and they were basically pretty much all by the same publisher um, so um, you know, Tiger and Roy the Rovers uh, were. I think it was the IPC, and then it later became Fleetway. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, Eagle was as well, too, and Scorcher was. So, like, Scorcher got folded into Tiger because it was the same publisher. Tiger got folded into Eagle, and then because Eagle wasn't a football comic, Billy's Boots got bumped over to, to Roy the Rovers. So it's all part of the same stable. Um, but when Rebellion bought the rights to Roy the Rovers... I know they've bought a lot of British comic rights as it goes. They've, they've bought loads and loads of stuff. I don't know if they've got the, the rest of the Tiger and Eagle stable. So that'll be interesting to see. Because if they have, then they can make use of stuff. The only characters that they've used so far um, are all... Because they've, they've used, I think, three characters from non-Roy the Rovers comics in the, yeah. their stuff so far. And all three of them are strips that originated in Roy the Rovers. Yeah. So... We haven't yet had that question of, can they? And if they try to, would anyone challenge them? Yeah. If they haven't got the rights, I guarantee at some point we're going to get a pretty obvious Easter egg. I guarantee it. (laughs) Willie Bean. (laughs) It will be... They'll do something historical and Rovers will be playing Deadshot Keane's team or something, won't they? (laughs) I will say that I think Billy's Boots must be the only football comic strip to get a reference in a half man half biscuit song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's not, and it, even then, it's not Billy who's referenced. No, it's, is it? it's, it's, it's just me, Keen. or is it Deadshot Keen? Yeah. yeah. Which you know, I mean, that's. I mean, I know it's half man half biscuit, and they will tend to go deep dive with his references. But that does show you that you know, Billy's Boots is the only one aside from Roy the Rovers that I think would ever get that cultural reference, mm. um, or you know, people would say. That it, that something was like Billy's boots, you know. Yeah, and the the, the last thing I want to say on it because obviously we don't want to spend too long in each one because we've got ten to go through. But <laughs> this is one that has also received a pseudo film adaption, and at some point we will talk about. <laughs> there's only one Jimmy Grimble. I know you're very keen to do Jimmy Grimble. <laughs> it, it, it really is genuinely one of the best football films ever produced. Um, you know, it's. It 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 takes essentially it takes uh, the, the the heart of the premise from Billy's boots, but it actually improves on it, and it's just it's just a really good, feel good, nice football film. And yeah, at, at some point we will get to discuss that at some. That's length. a good idea, but like you say, we probably do need to move on. Seb, you mentioned how the new Rise Rovers features characters from other strips and one of those is of course the goalkeeper Gordon Stewart and that brings us on to your first choice which is two choices really or three (laughs) or maybe even more as you've been discovering or have I given too much away with with your um, research on all of the discrepancies in uh, goalkeeper and the safest hands in soccer. Yeah, I've I've been spending quite a bit of time recently trying to pick through the the history of it because what's confused <laughs> haven't me, we all Seb? <laughs> yeah, uh, we're the only people who care. Uh, well, well, well I'll, I'll I'll wheel back a bit first before then explaining why it's been such a complex history. But so the safest hands in soccer uh, is is the easier one to deal with, which was uh, launched in Roy the Rovers quite early in the original Roy the Rovers uh, comic run, as in the the title of its own. Uh, I think around about seventy seven it started and it was about Gordon Stewart um, a young goalkeeper playing for second division Timefield City who um, when he starts he is quite young he's just breaking into the first team uh, but he very quickly earns the nickname the safest hands in soccer um, and it's just you know it's, it was the first I think it was probably the first comic football comic strip about a goalkeeper so it's all about the trials and tribulations of goalkeeping um, you know there, there was the point where it was revealed that he was Scottish which you know I don't know if that was a sort of intentional reference to Scottish goalkeepers 
by having because uh, basically what happens is actually an, an England uh, member of the England setup, I think the under twenty one coach or something, comes and says, "I want you to play for England," and he says, "I can't. I was born in Scotland." Um, but then you know it's a it's a quite enjoyable um, series uh, written by a writer called Gil Page, who was a very sort of um, storied part of of British comics history. Generally worked for a long time in that stable of titles. Um, I think had worked on Eagle for a long time, uh, and drawn by a, a, one of many South American artists to to work on on these comics. An artist called Os- Osvaldo Torta, um, and it's 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 good. It's enjoyable. It kind of ran for about six years, I think, uh, five or six, because I think it ended in late nineteen eighty two. Um, and it ended as many of these strips do just on a quite sort of uh, there, there was no kind of finality or closure uh, it, ju- it just ends um, you know there's the, the story that was running at the time kind of comes to a natural conclusion and you know they're just kind of generally celebrating whatever the latest thing they've won is and it's hooray for Gordon and so it's something of a surprise only a year later when a new series launched called Goalkeeper and in that series, we are introduced to Gordon Stewart. And But now Gordon Stewart is basically about to retire from playing. So we've had a time jump. Uh, and it's actually explained in an editorial page later that what happened was they retconned the previous stories. So the previous stories are supposed to have taken place in the 60s, even though they weren't at the time that they were published. So Gordon Stewart is now, you know, kind of mid-late 30s, on the verge of retirement. And he goes off to play in a, an international legends match in South America. Uh, and dies in a plane crash. Uh, so uh, we're introduced to his 16-year-old son, Rick Stewart, who is also an aspiring goalkeeper, who basically carries on the Stewart flame, and from then on, goalkeeper is about uh, Rick Stewart. Um, but Rick Stewart wants to go and play for Timefield City, Gordon's club, uh, but they've already signed a new goalkeeper to replace Gordon, uh, which seems, you know, I mean, they do it with kind of, I think, in decent haste, you know, given uh, the circumstances. <laughs> Don't even retire the number, do they? Exactly, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so so Rick instead pitches up at Timefield United, who, in a nice link of continuity, um, are managed by Jimmy the Rock Rockwell, the hard-faced manager who was Gordon's manager at Timefield City in the original strip. So there's a nice little link there. Um, so then, goalkeeper ran throughout the uh, the 80s. Uh, it ultimately finished in 1990. Um, and Rick moved around. He moved to a club called Oakhampton for quite a while. And this is the difficulty I've had is I'd 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 not read kind of a full consecutive run. And I've read goalkeeper stories either in single issues or in annuals at different times where he's at Tynefield United. Sometimes he's at Oakhampton, and sometimes he's at Tynefield City. And then I, then I've I've I, I've have actually now got hold of the issues where he moves to Tynefield City. But the way that it talks about Tynefield City. It's as if they're Timefield United because he moved to Oakhampton when Timefield United unexpectedly got shut down. They went bankrupt and shut down. So he goes to Oakhampton. But then when he goes to Timefield City, they're described as his old club and it mentions that they nearly went out of business. So I think there's a little bit of rejigging going on. Uh, there, which makes it very, very confusing if you're trying to piece this together. Uh, it doesn't really matter because it, the thing about these comic strips are, like with Roy the Rovers itself, they were never intended to be read across a time span of 20 or 30 years by by somebody reading all of them together. The idea was you'd read them for about four or five years and then grow out of them and then you wouldn't see the ones that followed. Mm. Um, but the thing about Goalkeeper is it's kind of... I, I both like it and don't. Um, I like it because I did get quite invested in it and quite invested in the character and because it's about a goalkeeper so I can understand why Dave's not going to be a fan of it Um, but also it's 
Rick is kind of boring. It's actually everybody else. It's one of those where everybody else around him makes it more interesting than he does. He's not that interesting as a character because he's too nice. Gordon's You're... actually a little more interesting. Gordon's got a little bit more of an edge to him than Rick does. Rick is just a bit of a clean cut goody-goody, to be honest. You're going to attack one of the strips I'm going to talk about for exactly the same reasons. <laughs> That's why the, the, the thing about Goalkeeper is I think Goalkeeper is perhaps another one that somebody with sort of slightly more than the passing interest might remember or, or come back to, but it was, was very popular. It was it, the, it was consistently. They used to have a vote for the the readers voting, ranking their favourites. And for a good while after it started, goalkeeper was number two, very consistently. Yeah. It, Roy the Rovers is always number one. But I mean, we've just. I I think it would be fair to say after we've all three of us have just sort of laid into Billy's boots for the same thing, <laughs> like. Goalkeeper, how many stories were, were there about him losing his lucky mascot, the skeleton? How many stories <laughs> were there where he has to face a penalty and for some reason this penalty is different because it's being <laughs> taken by somebody you know specific or he's lost his confidence because of something else? Or he... he came up against a lot of strikers who really liked to barge goalkeepers. <laughs> yeah, there's, there was. I definitely remember one where he smacks his head on the post and he's going through a bad run of form or something, and he's doesn't he save the penalty and he doesn't really know what he's doing. It, the penalty just sort of hits him, and then suddenly, as if by magic, all his confidence is back and he's he's brilliant again. Yeah, it is a sort of it is a bit of a limited premise with a with, where if you're just telling stories about being a goalkeeper, and that's why I think not too many spoilers, but you know, also relating to the question that Dennis asked earlier, um, there is another strip about a goalkeeper that I vastly prefer because I think it does much more interesting stuff, and and the character being a goalkeeper is actually kind of incidental. It actually doesn't really matter to the strip what position he plays, and I, you know, even as a goalkeeper who wanted to read a comic about a goalkeeper, I I, I do kind of appreciate that um, it's quite limited for all of that um, I, I do think one. I think maybe one of the reasons I, 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 I do click with it the art is fantastic I think uh, Osvaldo Torta genuinely is one of one of the, the best artists working on these kind of comics if you're drawing a goalkeeper you want to, you need to be able to draw a goalkeeper leaping gracefully through the air to catch the ball and he was brilliant at that so uh, artistically I think they're really enjoyable strips to read even if yeah, story-wise, they are maybe a bit meat and potatoes. Yeah, as somebody who is is slightly fetishistic about goal nets, he drew an absolutely brilliant goal net. <laughs> yeah. And Seb, how do you feel about Gordon Stewart being the current Manchester Rovers goalkeeper when he never played for them in the original story run? <laughs> well, as I say, I, th- I think it's allowable because of the fact that it, it Safest Hands was a Roy of the Rovers strip. So I kind of think that's okay. There is that thing of, you know, does it actually take place in the, the yeah. same universe? And Roy of the Rovers had a problem with that a lot. But then again, you know, all pretty much all the players that it brought over were like that because um, uh, Johnny Dexter's team didn't play in the same world as Melchester Rovers until it was convenient to do so. Yeah, there were other strips yeah. that did. But that one didn't. You know, Nipper, Blackport from Nipper were never in. But all of a sudden, when Roy Race is putting together an England team, he puts in Nipper and Johnny Dexter alongside Malcolm McLaren and Trevor Francis. Um, so you know the logic's already broken there. No, I think I think it's a nice enough nod. If if I'm honest, I would rather it was Rapper Hardesty because he did actually play for Melchester. Yeah, but, yeah. 
Um, I, I like that the, the, the new strips. I like the character of Gordon that they've written in the new strips. He is quite different from the original. He's very more obviously Scottish, which is enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, and, and of the characters that, that are in those books, he's one of the ones that has kind of stood out, I think. So yeah. uh, I don't mind it. Yeah. Uh, and just in case any listeners were confused as to why Roy would have included Malcolm McLaren in his English t- England team, Seb did mean Malcolm <laughs> McDonald. But Malcolm, Malcolm McDonald was as nonsensical. Uh, and we move back to Dave's choices now. And obviously, as Billy's boots showed, a good alliterative name was important, especially if the character was a bit of a clean shirt. And that was also the case with Mike's Mini Men, which was based on a popular table football game and no brand name shall be mentioned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think three episodes in, it's it's a good time to get rid of fifty percent of the audience. So I'm going to say <laughs> something now which should guarantee that. The thing nobody talks about with Subutio slash table football is that the collecting the different team colours was absolutely brilliant, and building the stadium. You know, the advertising hoardings, getting the cameramen, getting working floodlights, getting stands, and everything was absolutely brilliant. The game itself, utter rubbish. And I will hear nobody try and defend it. It was it was really really difficult. It was really really hard to to get any good at whatsoever. So the idea of Sabutio for me was always better than Sabutio. And I collected you know teams and Adidas Tango balls, and I had the streaker and the the policeman at one point. But when it came to actually playing it, it was it was just hard work. So. What I liked about Mike's Miniman was that it felt like what Subutio slash table football, as we must call it, should actually be like, which was a lot of fun. So the the premise was you had you had Mike Daly, um, who basically set up a league amongst his friends. You occasionally got the odd story where they played actual football, but it was predominantly about what started as Redstone Rovers, his team, but then, and this is important, Seb, particularly after the conversation you've just had, then he started playing as Melchester Rovers. So this this mm. is the, the first time we see the MRCU. This is, is <laughs> ah, in, in-universe... You know, it, it's... Because uh, Mike's Miniman, I think, debuted... It was quite early 70s... And I think he he's, he switches to Melchester Rovers pretty quickly. But is he playing as Melchester Rovers, the real-life team in the world in which he lives, or is he playing as Melchester Rovers, the fictional team from the comic no, strip he's, that he likes? he's playing as Melchester Rovers because he supports them. Because yeah. at one point he's watching them, he watches them on TV. They play a... I think it's a, if memory serves, it's a European Cup game, which they then play out. Plus, when Mike represents England at the Subutio slash Table Football World Cup, <laughs> he's partnered with Charlie Carter's brother. And so it's <laughs> it, it, this is absolutely right. categorically in universe, which in- is. It felt important. It felt like Easter eggs before Easter eggs were a thing when he was actually playing with, with Blackie and Roy and everyone else. Yeah, and Because in the 1986, I think it was, Roy Rovers annual, a new teacher comes to his school. Yes. And the teacher previously taught at Melchester Comprehensive. Yep. And they... they 
they move him about a bit. So he goes, one of the big stories is he goes to a private school. His mum and dad send him to a private boarding school. And he, like, obviously his way into friendship group is to set up a league there, which they have to do in the potting shed, um, which he manages to get a key for in, like, within two panels of joining this school. He manages to get a key for this potting shed, as you do. Um, and of course, there's a, like a prefect who doesn't want them to play, and all this sort of thing. And that that there's sort of run, a prefect is, who doesn't want them to play. Yeah, well, that that run uh, where he goes to the boarding school. I mean, eventually he left the boarding school and actually went back to his old school. But that run where he's at the boarding school is one that has been reprinted, I think, in at least two annuals, and certainly in one of the the monthly specials that was. You know, like was purportedly like a Roy the Rovers holiday special, etc. When actually there's like four Roy stories and then a load of filler. Um, but it was it was it was good storytelling, and it felt different because, as I said, the the thing that football comics can be prone to is getting very tropey very very quickly, and there's a lot of stories that we all love dearly, um, but you know, like. <sighs> For for Tommy's troubles, that you also had like things like the Louts Liberty Hall and Dole's Palace, which were very similar premises. Mike's Miniman was actually something that did stand on its own and feel like a little island, and, and I I liked it for that. It's another one that had several sort of a rotating cast of artists on it. I was I was going back and reading some, and even the very early stuff chops and changes so i i wouldn't like to place a name on the predominant artist most of it written by ian vosper um and it's just i i am not gonna sit here and make a case that this is the greatest (laughs) you know the 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 greatest football comic of all time or anything like that but it was something that did represent a little bit of difference it was enjoyable and i i think i mean dennis you've got more affection for it than Seb has, I think, haven't you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, because I, it was, it it was like I, I came across most of the stories I came across were in older annuals, we'll say in the early nineties. Like, did did it appear much in the actual weekly comic? Yeah, <laughs> it ran for ages and ages. Okay, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause, cause started it, right at the beginning. Um, I think four or five years it ran for. Okay. Yeah, and not only that, I think they, to be fair, they also reprinted sections of story as well, Seb, in various sort of iterations of, of like I say, the comic and holiday specials. It was a, it was a bit of a perennial favourite, to be fair. Yeah, and it, it was, it was around the time I was getting into Subutio as well. So uh, I, you know, it, it was, it was refreshing in that it was a bit of a different angle when it wasn't just about football, and. You know, it was there. There was just it. It, it was it just a bit different, basically. Um, and you had good, generally triumphing over evil, which was obviously a common theme yeah. in in all of these. But it, it was it was nice and enjoyable. Like you say, it was never going to win comic strip of the year, but it, there was a, a comfort to it, shall we say? Yes. Yeah. I just wish I liked it as much as you two both do because <laughs> I I I I love Sabuti. Although I. You said all of that, and I, as someone who, yeah, has collected Sabutio for a long time, who had it as a kid, and in my life has probably maybe played about 10 or 15 matches in total, mm. uh, I definitely, I, I, I'm really 
I almost don't want to say it out loud that I think I agree with you about the idea of it being better than the reality of it. It's true. Um, it's true. If you admit it, you'll feel free. <laughs> I can't admit it when I've got a shelf full of Subutio teams <laughs> on, the, on the cabinet behind me. Um, so I wish I enjoyed this because it should be completely up my street. Uh, but I found the character of Mike so unbearably wet. Um, and because just like all I got from reading it was it's just him whinging about stuff it's just oh they don't want us to play our game but we're going to play it anyway and oh the bully's stolen my team and oh that kid cheated and oh this and it's for god's sake man just just I just you know I want a comic book character to have a bit of an edge to them and he's just he's just a sap and it just it, I find it just a really draining read. Um I think there's a, a you say about it kind of having rotating artists, and I think the artist who was on it there was an artist who was on it for quite a while who I don't know who they are, because as you say, you know, they, they don't tend to get credited. And the thing about a lot of these comics is the only reason I know who the artists are is if I have seen something by them that is credited, then I can recognise their style and there are some with very distinctive styles that you can trace through. There are others whose styles are quite generic and who you can't. And on this, I have a feeling that this artist, or at least the artist in most of the ones that I've read, didn't generally draw football comics and maybe even didn't generally draw kind of action or boys comics because there's a lot of emphasis on people and and the style is quite soft um so i i suspect that it's an artist like not really from this genre and that makes it interesting and it, and it does make it like i i think if you're flicking through kind of a 70s or 80s Roy the Rovers issue you'll you'll be able to spot Mike's Minimen very easily and not just because there's no football pitches involved I think the style is quite different um, but that's that's the only thing I really take away from it because it's really hard to draw Subutio matches as entertaining action <laughs> you know you're basically watching people play a board game and and that is not exciting comic book action <laughs> No, no, and you like strips about goalkeepers. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair point on all sides. I think we uh, we'll, we'll have to agree before we move on. Uh, if you've ever wondered what Chelsea would be like if Roman Abramovich decided to make himself the centre forward, you'll have some idea as to what Millionaire Villa was like. Would that be fair to say, Seb? Yes, that is that is. Ba- Although I th- I think yeah, it's basically the principle. But but the I think what's key about Millionaire Villa and why it works is that the character is a combination of enjoyably hopeless and likable. So the premise of Millionaire Villa, and it's funny that it's Millionaire Villa because you know it really dates <laughs> it as being yeah, from the late seventies. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, David Bradley is a a, lo- a fairly young local businessman, and I think the implication actually is that he's like that he's inherited businesses from like from his father or whatever. And it never really gets into whether or not he's a good businessman. And I, I like to think that actually he's a bit of a hopeless, that he's a bit of a Job Bluth type character. Um, <laughs> But he's a, a fanatical fan of Selby Villa, his local team, and Selby Villa are in danger of going under. So he comes to them with a proposition, which is that he will give them two million pounds, um, you know, to use however they want on players, on on paying their players, anything like that. Two million pounds to basically save the club, um, but he has to be guaranteed a starting place in their team. 
uh, and they are a first division club as well. So, like, if you were to do the strip now, if you, that's a, that's a good question. If you were to do the strip now, how much do you think he would have to be paying? If it was two million dollars in nineteen seventy six, two million pounds in nineteen seventy six, how much would he be paying for a place in, let's say, Dave, let's say Brighton? How how much would someone have to pay to get a place in the Brighton team now? Yeah, well, the the issue with the the problem with there with picking Brighton is that figure's probably gone down. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. Selby Villa are in danger of relegation, and and they're in financial trouble. So yeah, I I don't know. I. <laughs> Maybe you'd have to say like I don't know, maybe ten million, something like that. <laughs> oh no, see, I would have think it'd be more than that. I, but, I would have, yeah. I would have thought more as a ballpark, but yeah. But yeah, no, it's it, it's just it's it's one of those where the premise sounds great, but it could still be one that falls down in the execution. And the interesting thing actually is that it, it, it I love it. It didn't actually run for very long. I think it no. was less than two years. And yeah. even then, like the second half of it, they sort of they explore all of the fun stuff you can do with this idea in a very short space of time. And I, even as someone who loves it, I would admit that the second half of the run tails off and becomes not very interesting. The, the artist changes, and also David kind of settles into the team. Like, he's still not very good, but they sort of run out of fun storylines with him being terrible. And that's what I was going to come to in terms of the, the execution for that first half being so good, because they really do get the maximum comedy out of, here is a guy who's never played football before, suddenly being forced into a team, uh, playing up front. He actually scores on his debut through total fluke. Um, and it, it, it's it's just, it's really entertaining. The art is really good. I, I, unfortunately, I don't know the artist's name. I know that the, um, the writer's name uh, was Paul Gettens, but there's not a record of who the artist was. I think, and he looks like someone whose style he may have drawn some other stuff, but I, I don't know for certain. Um, but it's really, it's just, it's it's a really nice, good-looking strip. It's very the football action. <coughs> the pitches are very wide. There's lots of kind of big open space, big open goal nets. It's just it's it's a very appealing-looking football strip in that sense. Um, there's a nice kind of bit of plot stuff in it where um, immediately upon getting the two million pounds, they go and break the British transfer record they go and spend like 600,000 quid on a Scottish striker and then before he's played a match for them David accidentally breaks his leg in training Um, then he finally comes back into the team when he recovers from his injury but he's absolutely terrified of getting his leg broken by David during a match Um, and then there's a whole thing with him over whether or um, whether he's going to be the new club captain because their club captain gets injured and that's the point where it tails off because actually David gets pushed a little bit into the background because they've realised they've run out of stories to do with him most of what they do in the back half of the run is David's going to use his fabulous wealth to take them off on another holiday and then they go and play a football match and David's a bit rubbish but they get a result anyway and it ju- it really does just kind of peter out but the um, there's one of the annuals it might, it's, might be like the 81 or 82 Roy the Rovers annual that collects the first maybe kind of three or four months of the strip and it actually ends on quite a good point where it's like you could take that as the end of the strip even though it isn't and that is just a fantastic read. Like that's where I first encountered it was in like an early eighties annual. It's just so much fun, and it's one of those where I think it's a it's a pretty universal premise. Like I say, with the with the fun game of working out how much the fee would be, you could do that story as a TV show or a film today, and get a lot of really good entertainment out of it. And f- funnily enough, um, I'm not sure if you remember. Around 20 years ago, there was a what you'd call a forerunner to the blizzard. Now uh, was called Perfect Pitch. Simon Cooper was um, was behind it, and in one of the editions of that, there was a story which 
I didn't realise at the time, but I realise now was effectively just a modern day telling of that <laughs> millionaire villa story. A, a software um, developer buys a club and demands to play, and he scores <laughs> the winner. Scores the winner in the FA Cup final because the manager uh, bribes the team's former goalkeeper who he'd sold to the opposition to leave in the, <laughs> the penalty. It was a, it was a good strip. To be fair, it was it. Uh, it was the right. It's one of those strips that I think if it had taken itself too seriously, it would have been really awful. And as you said, it 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 leaned into the sort of the 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 good side without getting absolutely ridiculous. Really, here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com/weightloss. That's PlushCare.com/weightloss. PlushCare.com/weightloss. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing, so we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Well, that's a uh, that's a good way to sum it up, I think, and it moves us nicely on to. A, a, a very well-known character in a few different iterations. He's been uh, like the doctor. He's been um, regenerated a couple of times, uh, and it is the hard man. Yeah, the hard man, Johnny Dexter. Uh, another one who probably, if you've, I don't think he's that known to the general public, but if you know a bit about football comics, he's one of the ones you're most likely to have heard of. Only character other than Roy Race to get a Roy the Rover's annual cover as well. I think it was the 81 annual he, Very he's good the main trip, cover yeah. star yeah um so yeah so so this started again quite early if not at the very beginning of the the roy the rovers comic run um and was a strip about 
Johnny Dexter, uh, a, a footballer who played for a club called Danefield United, and his shtick was that he was a he was a number six. He was a kind of defensive midfielder. Although he, for a midfielder slash defender, he scored a lot of goals. Um, <laughs> but he was, you know, he had he had a temper, and he was a, he was the hard man. Um, and it starts off; um, it's quite entertaining. Um, so it's written written by Barry Tomlinson. It's one of the few things that Barry Tomlinson, who's the the long running editor and group editor of the Rovers, didn't actually tend to write a lot of the strips, but he did write this one. And credit to him, it's it's largely really really good. And and in the main, drawn by an artist called um, Doug Maxted, who was known for a lot of other stuff and who's quite kind of again renowned for a kind of cartoony and action filled style that really suited it really well um so it started off and and it was kind of quite entertaining and early on Danefield's manager gets sacked and gets replaced with a guy who's got as much of a temper as Johnny and you get some quite good back and forth um with between the two of them where like sometimes they agree and sometimes they disagree but when they disagree they hate each other and it kind of you know it's going to come to a head and you assume it's going to come to a head with the manager leaving but what actually happens is that Johnny gets sold to a Spanish club called Real Gran Parla um kind of towards the end of the 70s uh so he goes to Real Gran Parla and he meets their manager who is a short round bald Hungarian called Viktor Boscovic who alternates between showering his players with hugs and kisses and throwing stuff at them and shouting at them and Victor becomes the first man who can actually control Johnny Dexter and Johnny kind of gets on with him while also tearing his hair out over him and it's when Johnny goes to Real Gran Parla that the strip gets really really good um, eventually of course Johnny goes back to Dane United and Victor comes with him and it becomes more and more a comedy strip about the dynamic between the two of them um, and you know it kind of has its ups and downs it is one of those it's another one where you know when you've had one story about they need to win this game and then Johnny's temper threatens to get the better of him so he gets booked and then Victor shouts at him at half time and then he channels his anger into scoring the winning goal in the second half when you've had one of those you've kind of had them all but there's there's enough of the character stuff that it works really well so that ran until 1985 and, and Roy the Rovers had a, a general overhaul and, and relaunch in 1985 and went through what I think is... It, it only went a year in that form and I, I think it, it, it before it did another relaunch and I think it's the worst year in Roy the Rovers history because it's, it's the year of... Um, Bob Wilson and Emlyn Hughes and then Spandau Ballet playing for Melchester Rovers and the backup yeah. strips drop off a cliff in quality because they, they cancel or change a bunch of the existing ones and they bring in some new ones, almost all of which just aren't very good and are quite edgy and, and violent. There's Harker's War, there's the team that went to war. It's just not very good. And with the hard man, what they did was they basically tried to turn it serious. So Johnny gets sold by Danefield because they bring, they brought in a new young midfielder who basically takes his place and Victor agrees to let him go. So he goes to Burnside Athletic, who are the club at the bottom of Division 4, who are, you know, they've got no money, they're a terrible club, and he becomes captain of, of Burnside and has to kind of drag them up the league. And it's the the artist changes to Mike White, who would take over as the Roy the Rovers artist a year or so later. And Mike White, a very renowned action comics artist, like British comics artist who for years and years was known for doing kind of action and war stories and stuff. And all the comedy goes out of it. And nobody liked it. So a few months later, they bring Victor in as the new manager of Burnside. They go back to the comedy, but they've still got Mike White drawing it. So it's just got this really bizarre feel it just never really works never really clicks so that only runs for a year because in 86 you get the Bazran disaster um where they want they relaunched they rebooted Roy the Rovers again killed off half the team and as part of that 
Johnny gets transferred to Melchester Rovers. Um, and for, to begin with, Johnny's in Roy of the Rovers for a while and pretty much does nothing. It's like they bring him in and, and he kind of doesn't really serve much of a purpose. And then gradually they found a role for him as as the kind of grumpy defender who hates everybody. And this actually carried on into the monthly stuff in the early 90s that we all absolutely love. And Johnny, by that point, was the kind of the old man of the team and was an even grumpier bastard and was quite conniving and horrible. He was pretty much not the same character that he had been in the 80s, but it didn't really matter because they'd made a really good character out of him and a good enemy for Rocky Race. Uh, and he even made it as far as the match of the day, Roy the Rover stuff in 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 the the ninety seven to two thousand one stuff. He's manager of Castlemere. Um, in the, in the just, FA Cup you know, final, isn't this? In the yeah. FA, yeah, they played them in the FA Cup final, and it's a testament to what an enduring character he was, and and how good those early Hardman stuff was, and how memorable it was. That you know he he actually as a character persisted for you know, best part of 25 years in various Roy the Rover shows. And actually longer, because he is one of the three characters who's been brought into the new stuff. He's the first team coach at Melchester. And he's also pretty much the best character in the new stuff as well. So, yeah, we uh, we love a bit of Johnny Dexter. Is it fair to say that the character in the new stuff is a lot closer to the original Johnny Dexter? I think so. I think there's. I think you can see elements of the later stuff in terms of him being a bit grumpy. But yeah, that that kind of comedy blowing his top, but actually with a heart of gold underneath. That's what made the original Johnny Dexter so good. Yeah, and that is absolutely what the new versions got. Yeah, as well. because the the monthly Ryder Rovers one, he was a lot more bitter. He was like like you say yeah. he was good as an antagonist but it wasn't it wasn't Johnny Dexter like you say because mm. the heart of gold was gone this was a guy yeah it's hard to reconcile there comes a point later in the monthly stuff where they do soften him a bit and he starts to get on a bit because he starts to reconcile with the idea that look Rocky and Dell are there to stay and what you at least get from him particularly when he's sparring with Merv Wallace is this attitude of look I love this club and I'd die for this club and I think this club's going down the toilet and it's because of these guys so at least it's not just like self-interest it is actually a I've been here a long time and I really care about this club they at least bring that out in him a little bit but certainly in the earlier stuff like he's just unpleasant yeah Um, and it as i say yeah it's hard to see that but actually that stuff was kind of happening towards the end of the weekly as well he falls out with roy around about the time that roy's quitting as manager and he quite likes the idea of ralph gordon the the manager who replaces roy coming in he gets on with ralph gordon he's like oh ralph's a bit of a laugh i'm actually a bit fed up with roy so they they were kind of planting the seeds there as well um, he's obviously just used to changes in manager Johnny because he went through it a lot in his stories. Um, but yeah, no, the, that that original Hardman stuff—it's—it's it's, there's a lot of fun to be had there. Going back to that, so, so basically, he's a good man to 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 kind of lead the revolt when a manager loses the dressing room. He's he's a he he was yeah. the template for uh, Aiden Hazard. <laughs> With apologies to Aiden Hazard and his lawyers. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Jamie Vardy. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> it might be a bit close. Yeah, yeah, Jamie could be listening. And from the hard man, we move on to a not so hard man, a player with very silky skills, but not much of a personality. Would it be fair to say, Dave? We are, of course, talking How about Andy Steele, the playmaker. How dare you, sir? It, um, nineteen eighty-eight. 
uh, Gary Lineker launches a uh, comic. How much I've never really been able to find out how much he actually had to do it with it, other than his name being on the cover. Um, he was he was their football editor. I'll have you know. Yes, of course he was, uh, and you know he he writes about the future of football. Uh, in issue one in a manner that no person has ever written about the future of football, never mind Gary Lineker. Um, but Hot Shot is a magazine I have a great deal of affection for. I have every one of the run. It was eventually folded into Roy the Rovers, as was the way of these things. But their sort of star strip... Um, and, you know, I'm going to lay it out there from the start. I think there were one or two strips in there that were potentially a bit better than Andy Steele, but Andy Steele was... He was the most important character. He was the flagship character. He was the one you put on the cover, you know, I'll be honest with you, probably way over 50% of the time. He was the only strip in colour uh, in the magazine, uh, in the comic, right the way through its run. And he was a 15-year-old uh, kid who, who grows up without parents in various children's homes, eventually goes to, to Bill and Margaret Steele in foster care, who end up adopting him. Uh, Bill was, of course, an ex-England footballer. He only gets one cap, but he was a, <laughs> a quite a storied footballer uh, domestically. And he spots an innate talent straight away because you know because of course he does because this is a football comic strip and he nurtures that talent and basically Andy becomes the youngest player in the league at 15 years old um for Millside City um and adventures continue from there and it was listen I I know all the things Seb's going to say, and he's he's going to say very much very (laughs) similar things that that he said about Mike's Mini Men, about the sort of personality, etc. But I really enjoyed it, and he was he was a good character. He was absolutely a golden boy. So you've got this fifteen year old kid who becomes like the face of the team. The Quasar sponsorship is in place from issue one, panel one. It even says on the title heading, Andy Steele, Playmaker, this strip is sponsored by Quasar. Um, but it, they they tried... What I, what, what I liked about Playmaker is in quite a, a relatively short space of time, they tried to do a lot with it so mm. you know he he's at Millside City which is Bill's old team he uh, makes an England debut fairly early on as you would expect then he moves to uh, Spain to Real Santiago. Oh, missed out one of his moves there oh yeah sorry no he goes to Lands Park doesn't he yeah he goes to Lands Park um, ends up going to Real Santiago. Um Kevin Radner is sort of starts there's a bit of a redemption arc because he starts mm. as his he's known him since he was a kid Radner's like very obviously the sort of exact opposite as is the way in football comic strips he's a mix between the opposite of Andy Steele and Paul Gascoigne <laughs> um, and eventually they end up as teammates and friends it would be fair to say and it was always the the thing I liked about Playmaker is that it always whipped along at a good pace. It never stayed in the same place too long. And one of the things about football comics, and we've already talked about how they can get tropey and they can get a bit samey, is it really felt with Playmaker like they were doing anything they could to try and avoid that. Mm. Um, 
And it, I, I think, I mean, Gil Page wrote a chunk of it. Uh, H. Manning wrote H, a chunk H. Manning of it. is Gil Page. Yeah, I was so going to say. Pretty much the whole thing was written by Gil Page. I yeah. was going to say, do you know what? I was looking into this earlier and I thought that was a pseudonym for Gil Page. Yeah, so I'm glad you've cleared that up for me. Which um, I, I think that in itself is interesting because I think it's actually. I'm going to surprise you by saying, I mean, I really like Playmaker as well. And when it, when I was a kid reading Roy the Rovers, it was one of my favourites. I, I, what you've said about what I will think about Andy Steele is completely correct. I think Andy Steele is a tedious personality vacuum. Um, but kind of as with goalkeeper, it doesn't matter because a lot of what's going on around him is really good. And like you say, it was a strip that evolved. And I think what's most interesting about Playmaker is that more than almost any other of these, rather than hinging on its premise, which is, you know, 15 year old wonder kid and they did do that and they had the what if you were going to do a repetitive billy's boots style story in playmaker it was um a really he's a really skillful player and then he comes up against a team who basically kick lumps out of him and he has to learn that you know sometimes that'll happen and he had to learn that lesson quite a lot but i think it it was about football in general a lot more than a lot of these other strips i think it looked at the world of football and what was mm. going on in the world of football and brought that into it so you would yeah. get storylines that were about a lot of the kind of stuff that was going on what i think is fascinating as well because you mentioned about you know the move to lands park and actually when i started reading it in roy the rovers i think he he was on the verge of or had already moved to lands park so whenever i read the, the flashback stuff where he's at millside if, I, if i'm reading like reprints and stuff i never quite liked that stuff as much because i'm like this isn't the true playmaker to me the true playmaker is when he, he takes a step down to a rich club in the second division but he goes to lands park they are a rich second division club wearing blue and white yeah and literally about let maybe less than six months before kenny dalgleish became blackburn manager um Lands park get a new player manager called stevie sinclair who is literally modeled on kenny dalgleish yeah. It's so freaky that like they basically predict Kenny Dalglish going to Blackburn. Uh, <laughs> but they, they, there are a few instances of things like that, and like you say, you're you're right. They did used to dip in to what was actually happening in football. So you know, when when he moved, there was this big thing about um, him going to Spain for what was a British transfer record, seven million pounds, and the reason was because. You had um, Chris Waddle, who had gone for four and a half million pounds, and it had been this big thing about it being a British record and him struggling. Gaza going, and it was at a time when, you know, going for a record transfer fee was seen as like a massive millstone, you know. So there, there are lots of there are lots of instances like that, and there are a few. Yeah, there's some tropey stuff. There's the one where the you know where obviously he gets a few quid and he is, he was an orphan growing up, so of course he, two imposters come in, the Grimes who claim that you know and is their son and all that sort of thing. So there was you know there is a bit of that as well, but it was, it it was genuinely a good strip, you know, and it was, the characters it filled it out with were were always semi recognisable, like you say. And I Rad think Radner it's... was great. I mean, he was such an obvious. I mean, he kind of became it rather than being it from the start. But he, he was such a an obvious. They, they did such parallels with Gaza. I remember there's even ones with like him dyeing his hair. That's basically. But I, th I always think it's funny that what happens with Andy is he starts off at a club and it's a bit dull, and then that club always signs Kevin Radner. 
to partner with him and the strip immediately livens up whenever Kevin Radner joins. Yeah, well, um, Kevin Radner starts in his his introduction is that he's playing in a, a derby, so Andy's playing for Millside City and Radner's playing for Millside County, yeah. um, which may place uh, Millside geographically, Dennis, interestingly. <laughs> um, and, yeah, when he comes in... He's he. You can immediately tell that they want to do something with this character, but it's very much like a sort of dip their toe in the water, mm. and you know, just see. And it immediately becomes clear that Andy actually works better as a foil to Kevin than yeah. Kevin works as a foil to Andy. So it's yeah, it it's it's really good. It feels I've just reread an awful lot of it, prompted by. A midnight dive, trying to dissect Rick and Gordon Stewart's various club <laughs> careers that may have been influenced by somebody on this podcast. I ended up going into a bit of a playmaker black hole and re- reading all his stuff from the start. And do you know what? I genuinely, it's really enjoyable, and it's the sort of thing that, <laughs> honestly, you could update most of it in about half an hour for mm. today, genuinely, and and put it out there, and it'd be. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is absolutely fine. One of the things I've always wanted to do as a publisher is to track down some of the rights to this stuff and put together some specials, but mm. Playmaker is another one that Lord alone knows where those rights are now, mm. Seb. Um, because but, of it originating in Hotshot, even though it yeah. went to Roy the Rovers, does it count as a Roy the Rovers one or not? Yeah. Are all it, those rights folded <sighs> in with Roy or not? Yeah, who knows? But it feels like... The generation that are writing the Roy the Rovers reboot, it feels like another one that I feel certain at some point we're going to get an Easter egg. We're going to get something, or possibly even Andy himself it, turning it, up, which it would, would be, make sense. Would, yeah, would be going great. On, going on what we've seen, it would make sense. Um, as Seb said earlier, uh, Nick rapper Hardesty may not feature given that the goalkeeping position is already spoken for, but he was the star of Goalmouth, and that's what you're going to talk about next. Goalmouth is... I'm, I said before that Playmaker was one of my favourites reading Roy the Rovers growing up. Goalmouth was my favourite. Um, I was I was talking to my wife earlier about what we were doing on this podcast, and I was explaining to her the premise of of some of these comic strips. She thought Millionaire Villa sounded fantastic from the premise. <laughs> uh, she choked laughing when I told her that Goldmouth was about a rapping goalkeeper. Um, <laughs> the thing about Goldmouth is that that's how it it got presented and that's how it got described. It was about Nicholas Alexander, rapper was his nickname, Hardesty, um, who was goalkeeper at a lowly third or fourth division club, Railford Town. Um, So the premise was he, um, he was a goalkeeper who his shtick was that he loved to shout out raps during games. Now, the thing is, that is the element that you could completely take out of the comic and it would be no worse for it. What made it good was everything else. And particularly what made it good was that Rapper was the the son of a rich 
billionaire, well, millionaire, whatever, industrialist who hated football and was determined that Rapper was going to give up football and take over the family business. And Rapper was adamant that football was his life and that was what he was going to do. So the two of them were always in opposition. His dad looked like J. Jonah Jameson and the whole strip was just about his dad trying to stop him from playing football, either by putting him off it so he wouldn't want to play it again or by trying to just put Railford out of existence so that he couldn't play for them or getting him banned so that he couldn't play. It was just this constant back and forth struggle. Um, and there were so many really good kind of shorter story arcs where he tried to do this. One of the best ones is where he manages to get one of his lackeys installed as the chairman of Railford. Um, and just like the various ways that like he tries to like oh, frame is, rapper. And, is that uh, the guy in the sunglasses? That's the guy in the sunglasses. I think yeah, who looks, I think, he just looks like a bouncer, doesn't he? Yeah, he's, he's just this, this, this random tough, basically. I think his name was Adrian Stark, I think. Yeah. Isabel. And that was, yeah. so that was just great. That was kind of when the strip was kind of really at its peak. Um, rapper himself, aside from the raps, was an enjoyable character because he was a loudmouth, dominated the goal area. He was famous for kind of throwing himself in the mixer. And as I say, kind of bit of a comparison to sort of safest hands and goalkeeper where um, it was very much about kind of them having great kind of technical ability. And often what safest hands and goalkeeper would do would almost be to give you a lesson in goalkeeping. Um, and Goldmouth wasn't really interested in doing that. It was just about the action. It was just about Rapper's going to get a kick in and then he's going to get the ball in his hands and then he's going to absolutely boot it with a big route one and Railford are going to score basically with an assist from him booting it up the field. And um, he's going to scream NIMBY while he's, he's doing it. NIMBY. That's where I learned the phrase NIMBY. I now work in a job where my colleagues use the phrase NIMBY in its in its genuine sense, which stands for not in my backyard. And I that learned it. That is exactly it. what I was going to say, <laughs> Every time I hear NIMBY now used, I immediately think of Rapper Hardesty and yeah. nobody else. It doesn't matter who uses it, yeah. that is Rapper. Um, but and it was, you know, so it was drawn by, uh, for its entire run, it was drawn by an artist called John Cooper, who again was kind of more famous for kind of action y comics, not generally for drawing football stuff. And I think that kind of worked in its favour for it kind of having a, a different kind of look and feel. Um, but it was written by Tom Tully, who was the writer of Roy the Rovers. Um, which might explain the Johnny Dexter-esque decision that was taken in 92 when Melchester had a goalkeeping crisis and Goldmouth got brought to an end and Rapper got transferred to Melchester Rovers. And this is a combination of kind of the best and the worst thing to happen because obviously it was the worst thing because I liked the story of Goldmouth and I liked what was going on with it. Um, and it was... So it's a shame to see that comic brought to an end. But actually, Rapper worked. They actually did use Rapper in Roy the Rose, probably because it was the same writer. He still had his personality. They did the raps a little bit. They kind of made a reference to it, but he was still very much the same character. And it was really fun to see that character chucked in to the Roy the Rovers setting and, and having all of his kind of personality and traits and stuff intact. Um, so that worked really well. So, you know, from, from a point of view of, wow, I'm a fan of this character and now this character has made the step up into the big leagues, you know, that was so exciting for me. Um, and yeah, it is a shame that kind of, I think because of the era in which he fell, you know, he, he was only kind of around in those last few years of the weekly comic that a lot of people would prefer to forget. Um, I don't know if we'll kind of ever see a reference to him again because I think he's slightly after the time of some of the people who who would be doing it now. Well, so, yeah. Um, but it's really that's one of those where I would genuinely because I've I've got 
in single issues. Like you with with, with Playmaker and, and with Hotshot, I've got every issue that contains a rapper Hardesty story, and I'd quite like to just pull them all out and kind of scan them and put them all together as essentially one big trade paperback of Goldmouth. If there's any football comic strip I'd want to do that with, Goldmouth is the one. Yeah, it it, it was very. I I've reread a chunk of Goldmouth. Did it, have you actually read it, Dennis? Goldmouth? No, it was before I kind of properly got interested in Roy of the Rovers. I do have um, a lot of the ones from ninety two, ninety three when he was with Melchester, but I wouldn't have any first hand experience of Goldmouth. Yeah, it would. It's very of its time. So obviously, like you, yeah. I remember the way you had like Jorge Campos suddenly started designing <laughs> his own goalkeeper shirt yeah. and they were all sorts of colours. So, of course, Rapper does the same thing. Was Off the top of my head, and I'll be impressed if I remember this rightly, doesn't he design something that's like bright pink with stars on or something? I think so, yeah. I remember seeing him wear something like that. There's a bit of an annoying thing where in a lot of them, Railford playing yellow... And a lot of the time he wears a yellow and black goalkeeper shirt and that really annoys me. It's like his shirt is almost entirely indistinguishable from Ralford's home shirt. Yeah, but it is it is very, very of its time. It is a little... When you read it back, it does feel a bit time capsule I think <laughs> yeah, in a way, that, yeah, that's fair. a way that Playmaker does as well, but Playmaker you could update very easily. I think you're right. I think it's... I think Goldmouth belongs in that little pocket of early 90s. Yeah, and that's that's probably a way you could maybe describe our next entry, but maybe you could substitute 80s for 90s, even though it continued on until the mid-2000s, if I'm not mistaken. It's not one single comic strip, of course. It's a series, The Venerable Football Picture Story Monthly. Yeah, the Football Picture Story Monthly is a huge, huge part of my... I mean, it, like it's no exaggeration to say that it's one of the things that actually improved my reading. You know, it, it starts in 1986, and the first story is is start, Mission to Mexico, where he goes to that... Sorry, it was, it was early 87, I think, it started... And he goes to Mexico, and of course he he has been the match winner for hire. But you know he realizes that winning the World Cup would mean more than any amount of money you could give him. Um, and what Football Picture Story Monthly was, because there will be people who listen to this who who have a vague memory, but they're not sure. It was a small little 65 page booklet that featured a digest I think they call that yeah yeah yeah. there there was two released a month and they they basically there were some that were reprints there were some that were retreads of old stories um they had some they had uh, some sort of stories that recurred regularly so you had Klein and Powell come up in loads of stories united was their big team and that i mean they had hedgehog jones up front he he literally well he had spiky hair as you would expect and an earring that's what <laughs> yeah. marked him out as different <laughs> um but you they went through earthquakes and all sorts but you had some stories that became quite iconic because they got reprinted a bit and there were covers you'd recognize like the good the bad and the ugly and jimmy grand the, was another regular 
Yeah, yeah. Jimmy Grant was another regular. There was there were stories like the Invisible Manager, um, which when you when you try it again, it's very difficult to research these things. But a lot of the a lot of the stories were from sort of ideas from other strips where they just basically penciled them out into longer form stuff with slightly different characters, and you had lots of again lots of tropey stuff about you know. Uh, there was there were footballers on the run, so there, I, I remember there was one bloke who was in like witness protection, and of course he couldn't stop himself playing football. But the problem was he was so good that he'd get to a level and then he'd be featured in a local newspaper or something, and he'd have to leave and un- under cover of darkness again, you know, and move somewhere else. And it was just it was twenty six p, which was really affordable pocket money wise. And they were just great. They had a, a poster on the back. I mean, I never removed the back covers, but they they had all, like all the great and the good on there. They had little strips on the front and inside of the front and back cover. It was like for twenty six p. It was. It sounds a funny thing to say, but this was a hell of a lot of content. It was a lot of bang for your buck, basically. And you know, I I've got. I'm sat here in front of a shelf which has got nearly 400 on when it carried on as always with these things it carried on like too far so if you get later number ones you're basically buying reprints of early number ones so like the good the bad and the ugly i think is like i think it's certainly within the first 10 but then it gets reprinted i think it's about 350 something it gets reprinted and there's there's quite a lot of that going on um and it's it's the first sort of 250 really are like your sort of golden age if you like your golden era and there is a variety of artists the the great and the good featured in there seb's going to talk in a minute a little bit about one of them um who features very very regularly but it was just a really great addition to your sort of football comic diet when you were growing up you didn't have to get one every single month because it was another thing that like your news agent would had on the shelf but they wouldn't necessarily go out of time so like at the end of the month they didn't whip them off the shelf and send them back so you could go in there when you had the money and you know there might be number 21 mm. might be there but so might number 35 yeah. and number 44 funnily enough you should mention you know? that I remember being on holidays in Tenby in Wales in 1999 and going into the small <laughs> news agents and finding a load of them and picking three at random because I only had a few pounds in my pocket and the shopkeeper was very amused by the fact that one of them was 65p, the other was 70p and the other was 75 because they'd been there so long, <laughs> the price had increased. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this this was it. I mean, they're, they're absolutely like cheapest chips to put together because they're obviously small digest format. They're only ever, I mean, at most they're three colour, but most are, are, are black and white. And they're just, it, it's like everything that's sort of, you know, you could class as an anthology over time. There's some good, there's some bad, but you know, generally the quality line was was really pretty good, <laughs> really pretty good. And the the only thing I didn't like is that often you'd read a one off story and you'd think like the, the to go back to the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's it, John Gresham, Colin Fork, and Chalky White 
are like a management team of three that go into this club and take over and turn them from relegation candidates into you know they're they're firing well up the league I think they they're going for Europe at the end or they win the FA Cup or something at the end and it was a really good story and they were good characters and you thought you know what I, I could read more of this. I would quite happily read another three or four issues of this and they'd never turn up again. You know, they'd, they'd never appear. So, but yeah, just a, just a big part of my childhood, sorely underrated as a, as a sort of piece of football nostalgia in my humble view. Um, and yeah, talk a little bit about the artists, Seb. <laughs> well, it's interesting, yeah, because I've got, I've got, a, I've, uh, <laughs> I've got, a small fraction of the number that you have, which I've got a little pile of like five of them, which I, I picked up in uh, two way books in, in Brighton um, before, before that place closed down, which is an excellent second hand bookshop. And the ones I've got here are just that they are a bit of a kind of who's who of kind of artists who worked on these things. Cause one of them, which is one called the battling Blakes is drawn by Mike White, uh, obviously of, of um, uh, Dexter's dozen and later uh, Roy, the Rovers, um, there's a couple that are apparently there's a there's an Australian artist called Peter Foster who drew quite a lot of them and he drew one called We Want Football which is about a, a kid at a rugby playing school starting up a football team which I, we, we we talked about this before we did the podcast just as a little aside and I'm going to mention this in case anyone this is familiar to anyone listening I feel like I've read this story but either with different art or in a different form because elements of it look really familiar but like the art style and the rest of it kind of doesn't so I'm really confused so I don't know if this is a story that actually was like adapted from another version and if so I want to know where that other version came from and where I saw it but yes there's a couple of them that are by Peter Foster and then there's one that's got the really distinctive art style of of Tony Hardy and I wanted to mention him because we're talking about a lot of these strips um, and we've mentioned the names of a lot of artists who've worked on them and there's another one uh, Barry Mitchell we mentioned in relation to Playmaker and I'm going to talk about him again in a little bit because he He's done a lot of important stuff. Um, but Tony Harding's actually one of the most prolific in terms of number of different football strips that he did. But we haven't actually referenced any of them because not for want of his art, but they're often not the ones that kind of stand out as some of the better ones. He was kind of a bit of a... I think he was treated as a bit of a kind of workhorse or a bit of a journeyman for doing these ones. I think what he's probably most famous for doing was Bobby of the Blues, which was Scorcher's rip-off of Roy the Rovers. And it really was just a crap version of Roy the Rovers that appeared in... I mean, it's fine in its own right. If you read a Bobby the Blues story in its own right, it's it's fine, but it's just got nothing that really distinguishes I, it. I, I tell you where people would know him, Seb. If you bought a Roy of the Rovers annual in the late eighties or early nineties, yeah, he tended he, to draw. He drew the Roy of the Rovers the the stories Rovers, yeah. for the annuals, yeah, and it was a noticeably different style. He had a and, he had a much more kind of a very um, very ink heavy. Like he, he he had a lot of lines and a very kind of aggressive style. He didn't yeah, sort as, of it, very angular. As yeah. a result, and he sort know, of drew, he drew very well for black and white because, as I say, you know, sort of he didn't leave things to a colorist. He sort of um, filled in a lot of kind of blacks and greys and stuff. Um, he, he did a, in the early run of Roy the Rovers. He did a very uh, well, very good. It was an interesting one called Who Is Arrow that was about a guy pitching a, a mysterious bloke pitching up at a football club, turning out to be brilliant. And the mystery was who was he and where had he come from? And it basically turned out that he was a, a refugee from a, from a war elsewhere in a European country. Um, what he and that's the thing. He, he generally tended to be quite good at ones that had a bit of kind of edge or a bit of kind of action or even violence to them. Because the other one that I think probably stands out the most 
most for him was uh, Look Out for Lefty, which was really close to making my list, and I'm using this as an excuse to talk about it, um, which wasn't from a football comic. It was from Action, um, which was a controversial late 70s like kids action comic that was like... It didn't last for very long because it was so controversial because it was basically full of like war and military and violent stories um, and actually got a lot of attention from um, hand-wringing people in the British media about it. And Look Out for Lefty was about a guy who... He turns out to be a really good... He's kind of trying to make the grade as a footballer and kind of become an apprentice, but he's also a bit of a thug and a hooligan but a really interesting character and actually quite a likeable character as well. And he lives with his granddad, who's a a Steptoe-esque junk dealer who keeps passing out drunk. Um, And he's got a girlfriend who's a a rocker. And it's sort of... It's really... It didn't last for very long, unfortunately. And the reason that I've read it is they reprinted it in the um, the nineties Roy the Rovers Monthly because it actually fit quite well with the style of what that that was doing. But it's one of those where the style of the artist was such a perfect fit for it um, because he had this kind of this slightly edgy, aggressive style. Um, like he was he was from West Ham. He was very kind of very kind of Londony. Do you know what I mean? And he was sort of. I think it really kind of fits that style very well. Yeah. So yeah, it was just it it's something that anybody who is like us, you know, as in slightly obsessive football wise <laughs> or have spent any period of their life being obsessive, it was just a great little outlet, you know, it was cheap enough when you were a kid and they stood up to a reread really really well as well. You know, they ju- they're just a wonderful little thing and it's it's impossible the reason I've sort of cheated slightly and just gone football picture story monthly is because it's impossible to wade through them and say well it's this particular you know, because some of them were, were the full sort of 63 pages story-wise. Some of them, you'd get two stories in there. So, you know, like in the first one, the first Stark story, you get the, the back story is about a uh, kid who's got a hole in the heart and he ends up, yeah, I think he gets a trial at a football club and he ends up being taken on despite having this hole in the heart because the manager, it turns out, had a hole in his heart as well. And, you know, it was it was... It was just good. <laughs> you don't need to say any more than that about it, really. Yeah. It was just a good thing. And I think the same can surely be said about our penultimate choice, which was once described by The Guardian as being about the Charlton brothers with hair. We're talking about Jimmy <laughs> of City and Jack of United. Yeah. Um one with a gimmick, and I think it's it's the gimmick that really made it, which is why it's interesting that then they took away the gimmick and made it much less good. So Jack and Jimmy, uh, as they would later be known, uh, Jack of United and Jimmy of City, as they were originally known, debuted in Score and Raw. Um, and Score and Raw was a football comic um, that sort of... What it did was it was it was basically Wizard and Chips. It did the thing of it was two comics in one, so you would you would have half a comic um, going one way to the middle, and then you would flip the comic upside down and have the other half going the other way. Um, and the idea was that the two sides sort of competed with one another, um, but they couldn't really differ in style in Score and Raw because it was essentially a football sporting comic, so it, they were all kind of doing the same thing. But the hook that they had was that in one half you would have a Jack of United strip, and in the other half you would have a Jimmy of City. And so Jack of United and Jimmy of City were two brothers. They played for Castleburn City and Castleburn United. Jack was 
kind of a tall, blonde, Steve Rogers-looking kind of guy, like very kind of straight-laced, sort of solid, dependable centre-back type player. Um, that, uh, to be honest, if, if I was to liken him to any player rather than Jack Charlton, uh, it would be Sammy Huppier. Is is that sort of that's that's the the, the player that comes to mind for me? Um, whereas Jimmy Chelsea was basically George Best, um, kind of long-haired, flair winger. Um, you know, sort of personality-wise, just the complete opposite of Jack. You know, he was a bit of a kind of loose cannon sort of thing. So you have this really nice kind of contrast. Also, their their family were all football mad because they had they had a mum and a dad and a brother and a sister. And like, I think the dad and the sister and the mum and the brother supported opposing teams as well. So like, it was all kind of divided down the middle. Um, and it worked quite well from a storytelling point of view because what they would generally do is you would either have kind of one story told from the two different angles or you would have two halves of the same story and the story would kind of take a turn in the middle and you'd kind of see it from the two different perspectives. I first discovered this, even though it was originally a um, score and roar, which was then folded into Scorcher, uh, which was then folded into Tiger. Um, so even though it was from that, it used to get reprinted in Roy the Rovers annuals and I first saw it in the, the 87 Roy the Rovers annual. And the story there is the two sides get to a cup final and at the end of the first half of the strip, they draw in the cup final, so it has to be a replay. And the two managers come to an agreement to make Jack and Jimmy captains of the two teams for the replay. Um, and Jack just completely takes this in his stride and is just like, yeah, whatever, I'm captain. You know, it doesn't really make a difference to how we play. And Jimmy goes completely nuts and spends weeks like researching like theory and stuff and just gets completely obsessed with sort of trying to carefully manage the team and just goes completely to pieces until someone tells him to play his natural game and then it all, you know, comes good. I can't even remember which team wins in the end. I think City probably win because the arc is that Jimmy learns that he doesn't need to go mental if he's captain. Um, but it was just, it was, it was really good fun. Uh, it worked really well with that gimmick which as I say it's, it's surprising therefore that what they eventually decided to do was transfer Jack to City and just have a fairly normal straightforward strip called Jack and Jimmy about two brothers playing at the same club um, and that kind of thing had been done before and so it became incredibly boring at that point and lost everything that made it interesting in the first place Yeah it was it was good stuff though wasn't it it was yeah. good solid you know, it was good, solid football comics. I think Jack and Jimmy. It was, and they they were like again, they were very of their time, wasn't they? There was which yeah. one had the had the black mullet? That was Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you know, but it was it was good stuff and it was the artwork was always really good i thought well it was almost it wasn't always but it was almost always drawn by barry mitchell and yeah. as, as i think technically barry mitchell makes a strong case for being the best ever football comics artist because he had the combination of being a good character artist he was really good with likenesses as well which which came up quite a lot when he was doing like roy the rovers and stuff um and he drew he's always drawn really good i say i keep saying him in the past tense he's actually one of the few um, football comics artists from the 70s and 80s are actually still with us and still working from time to time um, you know he, he got the action right and his character stuff's good Every, everything's very clean and sharp so it's no surprise that kind of he you know he was doing this in the 70s um, he was doing Playmaker in the 80s and 90s for a brief while he did a great strip that um, I know Dennis is a fan of as well called United where the hook was that they actually played against real life teams so that was where him being able to do likenesses really came to the and then he took over as the Roy the Rovers artist. So he drew, um, he's the only person to have drawn in the Roy the Rovers Weekly 
and the Roy the Rovers monthly that followed because he did the very beginning and the very end of that and he then did the match of the day strips as yeah, well. Yeah, it was a nice bookend that I think there were the only two editions he appeared in, weren't they? Issue 1 and issue 19 of uh, the monthly. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it was nice at least that, that there was that continuity and then he he was back for the the match of the day because in my head like he, he is the definitive Roy the Rovers artist. That's probably a generational thing but like you say, you can really set your watch by his art and it's a good point about him mm. being good at likenesses because I think he drew that um, that Kenny Dalglish um, uh, facsimile you were on he about. Did, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, from there, a, a notable duo, Jack and Jimmy, we move on to the definitive football comic book duo. I think it's fair to say, is it apart from Rocky and Delroy? Or Roy and Blackie, we are talking about Hamish and Mouse. I adore Hamish and Mouse, and I always have. Um, and there's two. Before I go into any details, there's two things I want to say about it. Really, for, for in terms of reasons why I loved it, we've just been talking about our artwork, um, <laughs> and the the artwork by Julio Schiaffino for both Mouse and Hamish and then their combined strips, when you look back at it, it's absolutely phenomenal, you know. Mm. Very, very different, obviously, from everything else that's out there. But the the detail he gets in some of the panels is utterly ridiculous, genuinely. Mm. And it, it it's just so good. He often... Uh, the other thing is with a lot of football comics is that they just deal strictly in black and white. And here with, with Mouse and Hamish, you get shades of grey and it makes a huge difference to your reading experience. And it's just absolutely superb. The other thing I want to mention before I go into specifics, it was really funny. Yeah, It was genuinely properly funny and not in that forced comic way it was just natural. It was the asides. It was the. It never even really had to sort of lean into the ridiculousness of having a little short, fat footballer who played in glasses and could bend a ball, oh, a good, <laughs> a good twenty feet left to right and in, and an absolute giant of a bloke who could hit a ball so hard that he could break a stand, never mind a goal net. It never even really had to lean into that to to just be really really funny. It was that some of the supporting characters, you know, mm. like do you remember his sheep McMutton? Yeah, and <laughs> you know, it's it's just really funny, really really funny. So to go into a few specifics, obviously Mighty Mouse is Kevin Mouse, who is is <laughs> in what is still when you think about it quite a bizarre setup. He's actually he's not a footballer; he's a medical student who plays football in his spare time for Tottenford Rovers. But a lot of his strips, when you look back, they, they are not afraid of the medical student stuff. He spends half his time playing for the hospital football team. You know, so you, un, under the... And like Mad Annie, the matron who's in charge, is a proper character. She's a proper sketched-out character. She's not a bit-part player. And then you've got Hamish, who... Hamish Balfour, who is this this giant of a bloke, massive legs, starts out, he's playing for Prince's Park, and then he goes to Crawford Town and back to Prince's Park. 
and he his you know his whole thing is that he can just hit the ball extremely hard but you wouldn't believe the mileage you can get out of that it's unbelievable but then they do this thing where it's mouse does mouse go up as a uh, does he play as a does he go to watch Scotland playing or something or does he go to is it like a friendly match or something Seb I think it is yeah I think it's I think it's a friendly because yeah he's been essentially dropped by he's been essentially sacked by Tottenford from his job at the hospital because the hospital only keep him on because they like the prestige of having uh, a first division footballer working with them uh, and yeah, he's watching Hamish in. I don't know if it is a Scotland game or if it's Princess Park. I think it is maybe just a, a Scotland game. Um, and actually, what's great is what happens is that I think Hamish, like, I think the, doesn't the ball get go into the crowd and then Kevin kicks it out the crowd and it hits Hamish on the head. Yeah. And they almost have a fight and instead they become best friends and it's just the it's just the best moment. Yeah, well, um, immediately Hamish persuades him to come and sign for Prince's Park. And, yeah. you know, as is the way of football comics, immediately the hospital nearby says, of course you can come up here and continue your studies from the exact point you left them. Um, and that for, so from then on, they are they are combined. And they eventually leave Prince's Park to go to the Glasgow Rangers equivalent, who I can't... I'm blanking on the name Glengo of. Rangers. Glengo Rangers. Glengo Rangers, that's it. They were dressed it. more like hearts, but I presume that was um, intentional. Yeah. Was it Prince's Park or Rangers who had the striped shorts? Because I always wanted them. You know, the horizontal stripes. I think that's Prince's Park. I think Park. it is, yeah. Is that... Yeah. Um... But it was just it was just a great strip, and it's another one which, when you go back and read it, it it stands the test of time. The jokes stand up, the jokes really really stand up, and there's there's a load of sort of, you know, there is there is some real tropey cliche silly stuff, you know, their manager being called Mister McWacker, <laughs> and then isn't Hamish's manager for Scotland called Mister McBoss? <laughs> <laughs> They do a lot of that. There's a very asterixy thing of nominative determinism going. <laughs> yeah, well, that's um, that's funnily enough, Seb. That's something I've got written down here. That it it, it feels it's very much in that same wheelhouse wheelhouse as the asterix. And do you know what I think? Part of that is is the dynamic between the two of them because mm. Kevin is short and ill-tempered. And yeah. Hamish is big and gentle it's and nice. Like, so it's yeah. like, and that's part of what makes it work as well. Is that like hotshot Hamish wouldn't work? I mean, Hamish does lose his temper sometimes, but fundamentally, like, and I, I really recommend if you can find it, going back and just read the very, very first hotshot Hamish, which I said this to you guys before. That like, it actually I think just works as a standalone one-off story about this football team go on a tour to a remote Hebridean island, um, and they find this guy who turns out to be able to thump a football really hard, and he knows nothing about football and he knows nothing about living in the big city but they persuade him to come and he basically you get fish out of water comedy of him living in the big city becoming a footballer and it's just so funny but that that personality even as he became someone who did understand football persisted that he's just he's just the big lug from the islands and it's just you know so that works so well and then you 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 put him alongside Kevin and I actually something else I, I said to you guys that I think might be a bit controversial is having read the Mighty Mouse solo stuff as well I don't think Mighty Mouse quite it's it is still pretty good it's got the same things it is still quite funny the art is still funny and everything I don't think it quite clicks in the same way as Hamish but as soon as you get that moment where you put Mouse and Hamish together 
it's perfect and it's like it was always intended that way and they both become so much better than they were individually like if i was ranking the three eras it would be hamish and mouse first solo hotshot hamish second and solo mighty mouse third but when they're mm. together it's it's almost never not brilliant no it's it's just it's just wonderful it's one of the I'm not. I'm not going to say more than Rise of the Rovers, obviously, but it's 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 one of the the one thing I probably turn back to more than any other because the other thing is you can sort of dip in at any point without having to like dig out a massive run of of comics. You can dig in at any point and you will find a very enjoyable four or six pages mm. right there, and it's it's it, again it's just the humour. It is genuinely very chucklesome you know a lot of comics are supposed to be funny and they're just not at all they you know they die on their bum constantly but this was one that really worked and it i mean it translated as well because i remember being on holiday um one of my first holidays we went to malta and they had uh in a, a comic over there they had reprinted hamish and mouse um in in you know a foreign language i couldn't read but i still bought mm-hmm. the comic just because it had hamish and mouse in there but then there's still probably so much you can enjoy even if you can't read the words because they well because there's two things that i would say about it being funny which is first of all it kind of surprises me that i don't really like almost any of the other stuff of fred baker because fred baker wrote billy's boots which okay does have its moments but we have already talked about fred baker also wrote tommy's troubles which i think is it was really popular and ran for ages and I think it was terrible I never liked yeah. Tommy's Troubles but he wrote this and there's so many great gags in it but also a huge contributing factor to what makes it funny is that artwork it's like it's rare that you find often you can you can get a funny comic and the artwork kind of doesn't get in the way of the fact that it's funny you know it lets it be funny but then you very occasionally get an artist who can make anything funny just by their style and julio Schiffino is absolutely that like it's it's funny without the words because his art is so funny and then like there is humor in the words as well often in exaggerated scottish accents but it's just yeah it's just a tremendous kind of um synergy between the writer and the artist just coming together to make this yeah, you know, as you say as well, it's like it's not necessarily that you would sit down and read the whole run of all of Hamish and Mouse because that would be quite a slog to be honest. But pick out a Hamish story or a Mouse story, or better yet, a Hamish and Mouse story from anywhere, and you'll have a good time with it. Yeah, except the one where Hamish goes on holiday to Kenya. Avoid that at all costs. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. We will, and we'll move on to discussing the ones which just missed out on your respective top fives. I presume we're starting with Striker. <laughs> I couldn't resist another another little uh, little dig. I I think I think Striker actually deserves a little bit of talking about, just because again it's one that slightly crossed the divide, but. Yeah, it was crap, wasn't it? Really, <laughs> I've I've never read it for reasons that should be obvious. I uh, yeah, I shamefully did buy some of the comic when it came out in two thousand and three. When he left the sun, I think it was just looking to fill a royal or overshaped gap in my life. And you know, it, it it's like when you should eat something with protein for dinner and you have six packets of skips instead. 
And I only chose skips at random, but the, the colours work, don't they, for Warbury Warriors? Yeah. Uh, but what, what I thought was funny was when it left the sun and they replaced it with uh, the Premier and it just completely mean-spiritedly they had uh, Warbury being involved in a, a plane or a bus accident and the whole team dying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, I, I never actually read it in the paper. I read they used to collect them and sell them in like cheap uh cheap sort of oh, a format books i wasn't aware of that i, I remember I, seeing collections and spin-offs but i still didn't go near it because of where it originated i was yeah. like i just associated it with that brand yeah so i was mm. yeah but um in terms of a few that missed out from me um and a, a lot of it is sort of there are some that are sort of hotshot related just because I have such a great fondness for that. But there are also others that, like Hammersmith FC, brackets fairly cool, was... It, it tried to do... Again, it was one that tried to do something different. When you read it back now, the reason I didn't put it in my five is because there are certain things to do with him being a black footballer that are just so clunky. Mm. It is untrue that was another one where the art nearly gets it in because it's solano lopez and yeah yeah but it 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 has dated you know i the the thing about that that i could say about hammersmith fc is that the one thing you can see there is that the intentions were fine the intentions were absolutely (laughs) fine it was just not quite as an enlightened place to uh, to draw people shall we say but kevin kevin's chance do you remember a you know, obviously the whole story was built around basically Kevin ending up at Melchester Rovers. It was that's what made it quite different, really. Um, I was never that familiar with that one, but I think the interesting thing about that one is that uh, I think the artist was Yvonne Hutton, who was the Roy of the Rovers artist for years and years in the seventies. Um, pretty much the the kind of I think she was on it for like the up until the point that it moved to its own title and and David Squay started doing it. Um, So it's really interesting to then see her art in, like, the late 80s, like, her style kind of... um, Yeah, as you say, on a character who then was was designed to be transferred into Melchester Rovers. Yeah, are you familiar with that one, Dennis? Kevin's Chance? No, again, before my time, unfortunately. Well, it was... It, it only ran for about, I think it was about three months or so. And what was different about it was that it was obvious from the first issue that this whole story was about him engineering somehow getting a move to Melchester. Okay. So instead of having like this sort of deeply beloved character transferring in, here you had somebody who was created and it was like, right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, we we can see what's going to happen here. So it was quite an interesting one. But the the last one I want to mention anyway was just, it's quite an obvious one, but it's also quite an important one because, again, it's somebody, it's something that has crossed the device for a few people and that was Nipper. Um, Nipper Lawrence, who, who obviously spent the greater portion of his career playing for Blackport. Was it Blackport Rovers? Yeah. Um, and he was a, another character who uh, lasted for years. He was. Uh, he started. I'm not sure exactly whether whether he started in Tiger or Scorcher. I'll be completely honest with you, but he ran for a long time. And that that was another one that was sort of on an eternal cycle of certain stories. 
but it was you know it was it was okay it was fine it was it it, it was a very passable long running football comic strip but the the thing about nipper is nipper is another one a little bit like mike's miniman that I think people who are listening to this, if they are familiar with Nipper, will be familiar because of reprints in annuals and mm. specials and holidays. And they reprinted that in the monthly as well. They they got a bunch of, of Nipper stuff. The first yeah. time Nipper actually appeared in a Roy the Rovers was when he was in he was in the Roy the Rovers England team yeah. and Roy picked him and somebody mm. else from this strip. The other thing that's interesting with Nipper is you did then get a continuation sort of a strip with none of the same characters but set in the same universe and at the same club and by the same writer and artist, uh, Tom Tully and, and Solano Lopez, which was Buster's Ghost, um, which I might have been a contender for me to include because it was quite good fun and it was it was obviously what Dennis was referencing in relation to me at the start of the episode um, about a guy playing for Blackport who were now much further down the divisions mm. um, and his cousin... Buster had been a star at Blackport and like their best player for years. To be honest, he bore a pretty uncanny resemblance to Nipper. I almost wonder if they started out wanting it to be Nipper, but deciding that killing off Nipper in a car crash, because that's what's ha- what had happened to Buster, was a bit too much, so pulled back from it. Although it didn't stop them with Gordon Stewart. Um, and isn't that how Nipper's father died? Oh, is it? Oh, right. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't it, just from remembering the Ryder Rovers Monthly, wasn't wasn't he looking to clear his father's name who his father was uh implicated in some crime and I think there was a car crash. I I, I should have probably been sure of that before I uh cut across you. Well yeah, but no, but yeah, but no, it's a yeah, I'm sure you're probably right. Um but no, so the thing with Buster's ghost was that Buster was able to possess um Fozzie, his cousin, and basically make him play brilliantly and play like Buster. Uh, and there was a whole thing where like he started to sort of develop a relationship with Buster's old girlfriend, which Buster wasn't happy about, so he tried to in- interfere with that. But the annoying thing about it was that it basically finished the story that it was initially telling, which was solving Buster's murder. That's what had brought yeah. Buster back in the first place and then it carried on and then it started to bring in other ghost footballer characters and it was like I don't really know why they were continuing it because they had genuinely told a story with a beginning middle and end and it carried on and it was actually Buster's Ghost is the only comic strip to have got a new instalment of its story the very last instalment in the final issue of Roy the Rovers apart from Roy the Rovers everything else in that last issue is reprints except for the final chapter of Buster's Ghost and even then it feels like it's ending abruptly without actually finishing the new story that it was telling so yeah. a bit of a missed opportunity there but for a while it was it was good fun um, the, the last, sorry I did have one more that I just wanted to mention and that's because it was because it was utter garbage and because the artwork looked like it had been put together in about half an hour each week and that was surprisingly Son of Racy which (laughs) when you go back to it now it does not read very well and as I said basically the artwork each month is just pencils nobody's nobody's taken the inks to it properly um there's very rarely is there like a proper background in any panel it just feels like the ultimate fill-in but i wanted to mention it just because i wanted to say it was rubbish (laughs) (laughs) i had one more that came close to my list but then i thought it's actually kind of a separate discussion in its own right and it opens up a completely different world if we try and discuss it here but that was billy the fish which I first yeah. read when I was far too young because the <laughs> Billy the Fish yearbook that collected together years' worth of strips, I read that 
at around the same time as I was reading Roy the Rovers and I, I don't think my mum was very happy about the fact that my dad bought it for me because I, I don't think it was appropriate uh, but I very much enjoyed it and the cartoon but I think I feel like we might touch on Billy the Fish again in the future on this podcast I feel like but like I think it's the same conversation about Jimmy Grimble at some point Billy the Fish wants some proper analysis yeah. from this team <laughs> Excellent. I'm sure we will be featuring Billy the Fish. Um, we have once again spent far too much time discussing uh, things that are inconsequential <laughs> to the world at large. And I think we, we've time for just a little bit more, don't we, with the Somehow I Manage uh, feature where we are taking turns at trying to guide Nottingham Forest to the Premier League in Championship Manager 97-98. As you'll have heard on the last episode, Seb took charge from the beginning of the season and got the thing up and running into the autumn, leaving Forest, if I remember rightly, just on the edge of the the playoff places as I took over. Mm -hmm. And... After after taking over, I lost my one, two, three, four, first five league games. Somehow, uh, I I, I was convinced that um, that Marcus <laughs> Stewart, uh, who who Seb had bought as a, a big money present for me, uh, to play up front was uh, some kind of mole put in there by the OCG because he couldn't <laughs> hit a fucking barn door. So I I lost. He scored and got an assist in his first game for me. Yeah, but that was probably against St. <laughs> Clavert's Mental Hospital. Um, <laughs> in big news, just to kind of get it out of the way, Barcelona signed Alfonso Perez for a world record 15.5 million. But all the while, uh, things were going down the tube. So much so that Andrea Salenzi was getting a bit of game time and actually scoring. I will admit I made a bit of a clangor at the start because Marco Pascolo wasn't in the team that was left for me but that's because he'd been away on international duties so international I, I left did you forget to I, I left Mark Crossley in and I was duly punished he <laughs> he scored he, he was given a rating of five um, in the, the, the loss away to leaders Middlesbrough when Salenzi did equalise but we lost 2-1 uh, then lost 1-0 at home to Charlton um, we did get get past um, Mansfield Town in the League Cup at least. That kind of got things going a little bit um, because we'd also lost 3-1 away to Tranmere after going ahead. Lee Jones um, was very impressive for Tranmere in there and uh, his, his mention will become apparent later on. Uh, John Toshik has taken over at Aston Villa. Eagle Ashtonstadt has signed for Athletic Bilbao despite a complete lack of Basque blood in him. Uh, <laughs> and Michael Knighton has resigned as manager of Carolina United, which will be a relief to the chairman, Michael Knighton. Um, but things things did begin uh, to turn a little bit uh, after a tuna loss to Sunderland, tuna down in the first six minutes. Um Manchester City away was was the turning point, um, despite Chris Bart-Williams, who was one of the better performers uh, for me. He got injured early on, uh, but Marcus Stewart did score in the first minute, battered him after that. Um, uh, but Tommy Wright in goal for City uh, was having a man of the match performance. Juve Rosler levelled, but Stewart scored the winner in, uh, in injury time. So that left us ninth, 10 points off the playoffs. Uh, Scott Gemmell, who had been left out in the cold by Seb, I brought him in as I 
sought to find a winning performance and he began to play well home to Swindon who were 20th lost 1-0 Frank Talia had a worldly performance uh, 16 shots in that game and he saved every single fucking one of them <laughs> uh, Zinedine Zidane signed to Manchester United for 7.75 million uh, then home to Palace in the, the next round of the League Cup went 4-5-1 to kind of try and frustrate them a bit nil-nil at the end of uh in the normal time Pierre Van Hoydang put us ahead in extra time 1-0 half time in extra time then Palace get a free kick and the, the text commentary had the delightful phrase surely too far out which led to Michele Padovano sticking it right in the net and <laughs> Palace beating us on penalties unfortunately Jeff Thomas who had been playing really well in midfield right uh, well that's not he, acceptable Palace winning in any way shape or form yeah and Jeff Thomas missed the decisive penalty against his former club unfortunately uh, got rid of a bit of Deadwood Paul McGregor joined Cardiff for 850,000 Colin Cooper wasn't really getting much of a look in either because Steve McCauley was very impressive at centre back alongside Col- uh, Steve Chettle so Colin Cooper went to Charlton for a club record 950,000 for them uh, Ipswich away went 2-0 down pulled one back through Stuart Richard Wright man of the match with a 9 for them uh, you can see a pattern here uh <laughs> Uh, then got, got it going with Huddersfield at home beat them 2-0 away to Bradford beat them 1-0 kind of hovering around the playoff spots uh, the whole time uh, Chris Bart Williams uh, looking to move to a bigger club rejected that and he came back again a few weeks later rejected it again then form took a dip again 3-0 down inside 33 minutes at home to Reading uh, home to Norwich 0-0 13 shots 4 on target so uh Despite the fact that we had Van Hoydonk and Marcus Stewart, I felt it necessary to go back into the transfer market and I made a bid for Lee Jones, who had 16 goals in 24 games, 3.9 million, and that was accepted and he joined. So we're kind of turning into the, the you know, the, the, there's usually a dickhead club in the championship who just throw money around and don't actually <laughs> get a return on it. So, uh, yeah, that that's that's what we're becoming. Uh but then at home to QPR, ninth against eight, so we're kind of battling to get up to the playoff spots the whole time. Jones came in for his first start uh, instead of Van Hoydonk, and he got injured after 13 minutes, uh, out for a month with a calf strain. But um, luckily, Scott Gimmel put us ahead, an own goal, um, put it, made it 2-1 after QPR equalised. Uh, and then... Against West Brom, who are an eight, another one of those games, um, kind of a six-pointer, lose that one nil. Uh, that brought us to the cup against Grimsby, won two nil, both goals by Van Hoydonk. Villa await in the fourth round, and then uh, the last game before I signed off, away to Port Vale, another one you'd be expecting Forest to win, won that one nil. Marcus Stewart again. Uh, so eighth place, six off the playoffs, um, and Cavaco, Luis Miguel Cavaco, who Seb signed, I believe, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, he was out injured, but then he came back. He's been really good. Uh, He's quality. I'm ple- I was pleased with that signing. <laughs> yeah, average rating is seven and a half. The the weak link of the team, I think, is probably really Alan Rogers, but you can't blame him for all the problems. Uh, so I did try and sign Steve Harkness from Liverpool, who accepted it, but he rejected it. Um, so there's probably potential there to buy uh, 
a left back um if anyone is so inclined the board are satisfied at the moment but there have been periods where they were less than satisfied and you know they've been reminding me of poor performances so it's it's set up fairly nicely next game is uh at home to oxford who they're they're 22nd so that should be an easy win to kind of set you up nicely before the cup tie against villa yeah, I'm just going to populate that team with Brighton players, just so you know. Okay, that's all right. Future. Yeah, well, it's up to you, Dave, to to win Marcus Stewart back around because you know club record signing. You've got to uh, you've got to get the most out of him in a way that Dennis couldn't. Well, yeah, back, he... back in my most trade days, I once repaired his MGF when he was playing for Huddersfield Town. So I might just <laughs> oh, remind, nice him remind him of that. Him of that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think him and him and uh, Lee Jones when he gets back fit can be uh, a good a good pair. I can't believe you bought Lee Jones. <laughs> yeah, well, I I panicked. I panicked. Goals were a problem, and I felt I needed to send out a message to the fans. <laughs> so uh, that's how that is poised, and we have come to the end of it probably setting a new record for a longest episode despite our efforts always to uh cut it down to <laughs> uh inverted commas normal uh podcast length but seb you have some exciting news regarding a website and uh a hosting venue if, if that's the right phraseology uh, yeah, this is yeah. So I'd, I'd set up a um, new site for the podcast. Seeing, seeing as we decided we are going to carry on and continue with it after sort of <laughs> trialing it to begin with, um, so it's now easier to tell you that you can get episodes of the show at beyondthetouchline.co.uk, uh, and we're also on the Acast podcasting platform now, uh, which means you might hear ads on this podcast. But um, you know, it's it's a podcast, so you're used to that kind of thing by now. Um, but yeah, and um, also that should also mean we probably get on Spotify at some point soon so if you listen to your podcast on spotify by the time this comes out you might be able to find us on there um which would be nice so um yeah excellent so uh again we haven't decided what the next episode is going to be so you'll just have to listen in to find out that uh and i think all we can do is leave it there thank you to david hartrick no problem loved it and thanks to seb patrick Thank you. And my surname doesn't rhyme with those two. I've been Dennis Hurley, <laughs> and we will see you again in the near future. Goodbye. Bye.